What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I'm your host, JT. Got a really exciting episode for you guys today. We're going to be discussing how improved will the Giants offense be this upcoming season? If Tua Tagovailoa stays healthy, how far can the Dolphins go? Why more NFL running backs need to be like Debo Samuel? We're going to talk some college football. Will Clemson return to the college football playoffs? They haven't appeared in the college football postseason playoff tournament since 2020. And then I'm going to be giving you guys my five most underrated teams going into the upcoming 2023 college football season. Will Texas and Oklahoma struggle once they move to the SEC next year in 2024? And there are some reports coming out that Zach Wilson looks like a completely different quarterback for the New York Jets. Before we begin, if you haven't already and you're new, make sure that you go ahead, like the video, and subscribe to the channel. We go live every day, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Remember that this podcast isn't just available on YouTube. You can find us on all audio platforms, wherever you get your podcasts from. Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, you can find the JT Sports Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to support the channel, leave us with a five-star review. We will greatly appreciate it. We are trying to get to 100 five-star reviews before the start of the NFL and college football season. So make sure to go ahead, give us a five-star review if you want to support the channel and you enjoy the content. How improved do you guys think the New York Giants offense is going to be this season? Now, Giants fans are really excited with the additions that they are bringing in on offense this year. You traded for a tight end, Darren Waller, who's one of the best tight ends in the league when he's able to stay healthy. You re-signed Darius Slayton, Daniel Jones. You also are going to be bringing in a pretty good draft class. You drafted center out of Minnesota, John Michael Smiths arguably the best center coming out of this year's draft. And you also drafted speedster wideout out of Tennessee, Jalen Hyatt. So this New York Giants offense, they do bring in some pretty talented players. But is this enough for this offense to drastically improve? Can this become a top 10 offense this year? Because honestly, I don't really think that the Giants offense is going to be all that improved this year. Yeah, Darren Waller is a phenomenal tight end when he's healthy, keyword when he's healthy, something that he hasn't really been able to do is stay healthy over his last couple of seasons with the Las Vegas Raiders. I think that was a big reason why they were willing to part ways with him. And then you sign Paris Campbell, which, yeah, he's a solid player, but last season was the best year that he's had since he got drafted by the Indianapolis Colts. And I don't really think that Paris Campbell really makes the New York Giants wide receiving core better than what it already was. And you look at their current receiver room right now, you got Isaiah Hodgins, Darius Slayton, you got Paris Campbell, you got Wondell Robinson coming back. But is this really a wide receiving core that's playoff caliber? You went to the postseason last year with a wide receiving core that was not that great. But are you going to be able to do the same thing this season with a better schedule? Playing against better competition? We saw what happened to the Giants when they played the Philadelphia Eagles. They got smacked. If the Giants are going to be able to make it back to the playoffs this year, this wide receiving core needs a little bit more talent or they need some more production. Darius Slayton, Isaiah Hodgins, those guys are okay. But they're not guys who are going to be able to get you through a complete season, giving you consistent play. And Brian Dable is a fantastic coach, and he's really good with the schematics and the X's and O's aspect of the game. But when you are playing against a tough schedule with teams that not only have more talent than you, but have just as good coaching as you, the team that not only is going to have as good as coaching as what you have, but has the more talented team, is going to win the majority of times. Daniel Jones could regress this year. Giants fans, I think, are trying to force themselves to fall in love with Daniel Jones based on the fact that they went ahead and they re-signed them to a lucrative deal. 
but also because of how he played last year. And Daniel Jones played okay last season. He played solid. He played good enough. Is he going to be able to elevate to an elite quarterback this year? I don't really know. I think that we're starting to see Daniel Jones hit his ceiling. And you got to wonder if last year was a one-hit wonder for Daniel Jones. He still has a lot more to prove this year. Going against tougher competition, now having to live up to somewhat of having expectations now because of the money that he's going to be paid on the annual on an annual basis. I don't think if I really trust Daniel Jones to be able to continue to give the Giants consistent play year in and year out with the supporting cast that he has. They don't have an elite wide receiver. They have Darren Waller, and Giants fans do have a right to say that Darren Waller makes this offense a little bit better, but you don't know if he's going to be able to stay healthy. And with his injury history, I don't think it's a matter of if he can stay healthy, but when he will get injured. And then Saquon Barkley, even if he does play this year, your wide receiving core still isn't all that great, and it's a passing league. Look at the four teams that were in the conference championship last year. Kansas City, they didn't have great receiver play, but they had good receivers who were able to step up. They also had Travis Kelsey and a really great offensive line and a fantastic quarterback and Patrick Mahomes. Joe Burrow has the best receiving core in the NFL. The Philadelphia Eagles have one of the best receiving cores in the NFL. The San Francisco 49ers got a three-headed monster in their passing game with Debo, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle. And the New York Giants, they have Darius Slayton, Paris Campbell, Isaiah Hodgins, and Wondell Robinson. And Wondell Robinson had a really good rookie season. But I don't, I don't think that the Giants, from a skill position standpoint, have enough juice on offense to be a playoff team. Is, is their offensive line going to improve this year? That's also a big question that we have about this offense. Now, you know that your left tackle situation is pretty good with Andrew Thomas, one of the best left tackles in the game, but right tackle, we don't really know if Evan Neal is going to take that next step in development. You're hopeful that he takes that next step if you're a Giants fan, but he was really, really shaky last season. And your offensive guard positions, I think they're a little bit more to be desired. Now, at center, I think you are going to be really good there with rookie John Michael Smith. This dude was a fantastic prospect coming out of this past year's draft. He could have been a late first-round pick in some people's eyes with how good he is. But this offensive line is still really sketchy. Even when you do have Saquon Barkley, I don't know if him and Darren Waller completely make this team a lock to make it to the postseason with what they're kind of lacking at receiver compared to the other teams in this division. Even the Washington Commanders have a better receiving core than the New York Giants. Jahan Dotson, Terry McLaurin, and Curtis Samuel is way scarier than what the New York Giants have starting at wideout this year. The Philadelphia Eagles, the Dallas Cowboys all have better receiving cores and more talent on offense than what the New York Giants are bringing into this upcoming season. I don't think the Giants offense is going to be better than what it was last year. I don't think it's going to improve that much. And I think there's a small chance or an average chance that this Giants offense kind of takes a step back in 2023. These receivers aren't bad but they're not great and the Giants at least based on what they look like on paper are the most least talented offense going into this division this season so I don't think this Giants offense has improved at all and the reason why I had to bring this up is because Giants fans are you know bragging about the additions that they made over this offseason and judging by the offset, the offensive acquisitions that they've brought in, their offense still looks kind of mid. Just keeping in the stat, be honest, do Paris Campbell, Isaiah Hodgins, Darius Slayton really scare you? I mean, yeah, I love Darren Waller, but is he going to be able to stay healthy? I don't think the New York Giants offense 
has gotten as better as what a lot of Giants fans are trying to push out there. I don't think this offense is really going to improve at all this year. And if they do improve, I think it would be small improvements. You don't really have an elite receiver. Your offensive line is still a work in progress. And I think Daniel Jones is now starting to hit his ceiling. But you guys let me know how you guys feel about the New York Giants offense and how improved you feel this offense would be in 2023. If Tua Tagovailoa stays healthy, how far can the Miami Dolphins go this year? Now, this is all speculation that Tua Tagovailoa can stay healthy for the whole entire regular season this year for Miami. If that happens, is Miami a serious threat once they make it to the playoffs. Now, I feel with a healthy Tua, the Dolphins probably are going to end up having one of the best records in the AFC, and they potentially could end up winning the division from the Buffalo Bills. The Miami Dolphins, when you look at this roster from a pure talent standpoint on paper, this is one of the best rosters in the whole entire NFL. You got the fastest Offense in the NFL with Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Chosen Anderson at wide receiver, Raheem Mossard, Devin A. Chain at running back. You only wonder if this offensive line is going to be able to improve this year. And if this offensive line can be average or above average, this Dolphins team is going to be really scary. And you're not going to want to see this team in the playoffs. With how great this defense is going to be with Vic Vangio as their defensive coordinator. If Tua was healthy last year, the Miami Dolphins would have beaten the Buffalo Bills in the wildcard round. Buffalo was being reckless with the football. Their defense was getting a little bit tired late in that game. Tua plays last year in that wildcard round loss against the Buffalo Bills. I think that ends up turning into a W for the Dolphins, and they knock out the Bills in the first round. So imagine how far this team can go this year with what they've brought in to improve this defense with Vic Vangio. His defenses have been implemented by half of the defensive coordinators currently employed right now, and there are a lot of defensive minds who come from under his coaching tree. The Dolphins' run game probably will need to improve, but I believe that it will. I don't think the Dolphins' run game is bad. I think that Mike McDaniel has a tendency to get a little bit one-sided with his play calling. I think he can become a little bit pass-heavy at times. But the Miami Dolphins, if Tua stays healthy, this is a team that most definitely could look to challenge Kansas City, Cincinnati, and some of the top teams in the AFC. There's a reason why a lot of people are labeling the Miami Dolphins dark horse Super Bowl contenders because they're a Super Bowl sleeper. This roster is mega talented. This is a top five roster that the Dolphins have going into this year. And it doesn't really matter how strong their schedule is or not because they still are going to be able to beat the majority of teams that they play as long as Tua can stay healthy. That's the really big thing when it comes to Tua. Tua is a top 10 quarterback in my eyes. He doesn't have the strongest arm. He may not be the most athletic, but he's one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league. And plus, he throws a fantastic deep ball. I see a lot of people on social media trying to make it seem like, oh, Tua isn't good throwing the football deep. Well, tell me why he was one of the most accurate deep ball throwers from the 2022 season last year. Not just that, but... You see every time Tua throws a deep ball on social media, this people trying to say was underthrown. Tua Tagovailoa gets way too much hate for somebody who is a really good quarterback. He's not elite, but he is really good. He's a top 10 quarterback. I rank him 7th or 8th on my quarterback rankings. And if you can get him healthy going into the playoffs, the Dolphins have a great chance at being able to make it to the Super Bowl. This roster is good enough to compete with Kansas City, Baltimore, Cincinnati. You can name any of the top teams in the NFL going into this year, and there's no way you can deny that you can deny that the Miami Dolphins have a roster that is not even 
more talented or just as talented as said team their roster is just as good as the philadelphia eagles the only thing the dolphins have that the eagles don't is a great offensive line that's about it so there is nothing that really separates the dolphins from the top contenders in the nfl from how good they actually are the Dolphins, if they can keep Tua upright all year and he can stay at 100% going into the postseason, this is a really dangerous team. And whoever you root for, if your team makes it to the playoffs this year, I don't think you want to see Miami, especially early. This team has a lot of speed. They got a lot of talent. They're going to be incredibly well coached. A healthy Tua Tagovailoa, you can damn near make the argument that the Miami Dolphins are going to make it out of the AFC. Yeah, the Jets are really good, but the Dolphins have a better roster than them. They're deep on defense. Same thing with offense. It's just that you don't know how either team's offensive line is going to perform. The Buffalo Bills, I think that the Dolphins have a better roster than them. And then you look at the New England Patriots. I mean, come on, man. Is there really a team in the AFC that is just far more talented than what the Miami Dolphins are going into this year because I don't think there is one. Kansas City is always up there because they got Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, but after that, who else do they have who you would take over anybody on the Miami Dolphins? If Tua can stay healthy, I think that this Dolphins team could very well make a lot of noise in the playoffs this year. I think they're going to have one of the best records in this conference. I don't think they're going to disappoint, barring a major injury. A healthy Tua Tagovailoa makes the Dolphins legitimate Super Bowl contenders, and this team could go as far as the AFC Conference Championship or maybe the Super Bowl if he's able to stay healthy. Now, I'm not saying that's a lock. I'm not making the prediction, but I am telling you the ceiling of what the Dolphins can be this year if he can stay healthy at QB. This Dolphins team has plenty of talent. They got a lot of speed. They got really good coaches on their staff. This is a team that if Tua stays healthy, he has everything around him to lead this team to a potential Super Bowl. I think that Debo Samuel is the new standard for what you need to be at the running back position if you want to get paid a lot of money. These NFL running backs, they recently made a Zoom meeting to discuss what they can do about the declining running back market, and they came to a harsh reality that they're pretty much a zero. Any there's pretty much nothing that these running backs can do to improve the current state of the market for RBs. But I do think if you're an upcoming running back and you're in high school, college, or if you're in the NFL right now, you're wondering what do you need to do to have a little bit more leverage when it comes to getting paid and getting more money. And I think you need to look at Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel, he is getting paid $71.55 million over the course of three years with his new contract that he signed last offseason. And he's making, on average, $23.8 million a year. And he's not just a receiver, but he also is utilized as a running back. The new position that they are giving Debo Samuel is wide back. They're calling him a wide back, which is kind of like a hybrid receiver slash running back. And Debo Samuel, with him getting $23.8 million a year, when you compare that to the highest paid running back, which is Chris McCaffrey, he has him beat by a pretty big margin. Chris McCaffrey's making $16 million a year. So Debo Samuel, if you look at his contract, and where he ranks up amongst running backs is not even close. He's getting way more money than them. And then when you look at what he's getting paid compared to the other receivers out there, he's the seventh highest paid receiver entering this season. So Debo Samuel has a contract that makes him pretty much the highest paid RB and the seventh highest paid receiver. Due to his skill set, his ability to not just be a great receiver, but he also can be a really good running back when you decide to line him up at that position. More running backs need to have a Debo Samuel kind of skill set. That's why I said a couple of days ago that 
I believe B. John Robinson and Jameer Gibbs are going to evolutionize the running back position in the NFL. Those guys aren't just talented running backs. They also are really good as receivers. They can run really good routes. They can beat press coverage. B. John Robinson and Jameer Gibbs, with how successful they are eventually going to be, they're going to set a new standard and a new precedent for the running back position. If you're a running back that is a little bit similar in skill set to Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, you're not going to be able to demand top money because you don't have versatility. You have to be utilized in multiple different ways in order to demand big money. It's a passing league. It's 2023. It's not 1994. It's not 2005 where the running back position was pivotal to having success on offense. It's a passing league. And therefore, if you can't be effective in the passing game, you're going to limit the amount of ways that a team can use you, which is ultimately going to make you more replaceable. There's plenty of running backs who you can hand the football off to and they can be really good and give you good production being North and South runners. But if you can bring more to the table, like Debo Samuel or even Christian McCaffrey, being able to line up wide and not just be a great running back, but a threat at receiver, you bring more value to yourself, which makes you harder to replace. It's hard to find running backs that have great route running and can play receiver. More running backs coming into the league need to have a skill set like Debo Samuel or even Le'Veon Bell. I think Le'Veon Bell is somebody who doesn't really get talked about enough for how much of a trailblazer he was at the running back position for Pittsburgh. He was also utilized as a receiver as well. And he was good enough to be compared to a wide receiver too. That's why he was asking for so much money. And for running backs like Austin Eckler, who may have a little bit of a similar skill set to Debo Samuel, you got to be able to stay healthy and you also got to be young. Austin Eckler is getting up there in age. A age where most running backs start to decline. So that's why he's not getting money. Saquon Barkley, he has a little bit of an injury history. And Josh Jacobs, I don't know why he hasn't been paid yet. But none of those guys that I just mentioned, outside of Austin Eckler, has a skill set that's even remotely close to what Debo Samuels brings to the table. The running back position has changed. These running backs can get mad and complain about what they feel they should be getting paid all they want to. But if you don't make a team realize how valuable you are with your versatility, they're going to view you as a easily replaceable, you know, player. The players that are able to get the most money at the running back position are going to be the running backs that are able to be versatile, that can impact the passing game in a major way like B. John Robinson and Jameer Gibbs are going to be. Those guys are going to be new trendsetters for the running back position. B. John Robinson, he was underutilized a little bit at Texas by Steve Sharkeesian because you can line him out wide and he runs incredible routes. And seeing B. John Robinson or Jameer Gibbs in the open field against a defensive back in the open field, who do you think is going to win that matchup nine times out of ten? They are running back, so of course they're going to be good after the catch. And one thing that separates Debo Samuel from the other players in the league is how good he is after the catch. This dude is super physical, and he's also super big for his side, for his position. You don't really see receivers that have Debo Samuel's kind of skill set after the catch. And you don't see running backs that have his kind of skill set when it comes to running routes out of the backfield. If you're an upcoming running back, you need to have a Debo Samuel-like skill set if you want to get paid a lot of money. Because if not, you're going to be less valuable. And the team is not going to view you as a big long-term, you know, piece to their success. If you're somebody who can impact this game in several different ways, like Christian McCaffrey can or Debo Samuel can, then you bring more value to yourself, which gives you more leverage and contract negotiations for getting more money. And Debo Samuel isn't even that good. As a matter of fact, I think he probably is the most overrated player in the NFL. 
The 49ers gave him all that money after one all-pro season. And look what happened to him last year. His production dropped, and he also struggled to stay on the field with injuries. So these running backs talk about how they can't get paid, and the biggest factor against them is that, oh, well, they can't stay healthy long-term, but yet Debo Samuel is making $23.8 million a year being able to play both running back and receiver. If you're a running back, you need to go out there and hit that damn jug machine and get those hands right and go to a receiver's coach that can improve your route running and your footwork and make you a weapon. You don't just need to be a great running back anymore, people. You need to be a weapon. You need to be one of those players that just cannot be taken off the field because you can do everything. Oh, take him out at running back and put him in that wide receiver. That's what Arthur Smith is going to be telling B. John Robinson. He's going to be like, let's put Tyler Argier out there and move B. John Robinson to the slot. Or let's move him to the outside. You see how hard it is to take a player off the field that can do so much that's a Swiss Army Knight compared to a guy that's like a Nick Chubb, a Derrick Henry. Once you get ran to the ground, that's it. Meanwhile, if you can bring a little bit more value elsewhere, you can be able to extend your career because you're going to have an additional role. Pass catching backs don't decline as fast as running backs that are getting 20, 25 carries a game and running the football up the middle through these treacherous defensive lines. Running backs need to be more like Debo Samuel. I think Debo Samuel is kind of a little bit of a trailblazer. He's not labeled as a running back. He's technically a wide receiver that possesses a running back skill set. But he's playing this new position that people are calling the wide back position, which allows him to go to the 49ers and be like, hey, you can't just pay me like a running back. You got to pay me like a top receiver also. I run routes good as a wide receiver. I'm one of the best at my position. And I also was really good when I had the ball in my hands as a ball carrier. Pay me. And this is why he's getting $71.55 million dollars total over the next three years he's getting over 23 million a year because of his versatility that's what these running backs have to bring to the table to be able to have a long-lasting career where they're getting a lot of money and even if they don't play eight nine years at least you're going to be able to run it up your first couple in the league because of how skilled you are so let me know what you guys think about this down in the comment section down below clemson Hasn't been to the college football playoffs since the year 2020. Could they finally make the return to the college football playoffs this upcoming college football season? Now, first of all, we got to ask ourselves, what has hindered Clemson from returning to the postseason in college football? Well, I think the first thing that has held back Clemson has been their lack of offense. Ever since Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne left Clemson for the NFL, this offense has been out of sorts. And Dabo Sweeney believes that he finally has solved the answer to Clemson's offensive struggles with hiring offensive coordinator Garrett Riley, who they pretty much stole from TCU. And Garrett Riley is one of the best offensive minds in college football. And he's one of the top coordinators going into this season. And he probably isn't going to be on Clemson staff for that long. He probably is going to be here for a year, maybe two. And then he's going to end up dipping for a head coaching opportunity. I think that for Clemson, your offense has to improve big time. And Clemson fans already know this, but... Your receiving core hasn't produced the NFL caliber receiver since Justin Ross. The last time Clemson produced, what, elite caliber prospects going into the NFL draft was a very long time ago. Clemson used to be known as wide receiver U. And when you look at the talent that they have at wide receiver now, they still are stacked at that position. You got Bo Collins, who should have a breakout season. He was tied for the team lead and touchdowns. You got Antonio Williams coming back for another season who was your leading receiver in yards last year. So there is a lot of talent 
in this receiver room for Clemson. It's just that the development at that position hasn't really been as good as what it used to be in the past when you had Sammy Watkins and Mike Williams. I mean, Clemson used to be a receiver factory at one point, and they haven't really produced any other NFL wideouts since Justin Ross. And for Dabo Sweeney, I think something that has also hindered Clemson from being able to make it to the college football playoffs is this offensive line. The offensive line has been really down for Clemson over the last couple of seasons. And Dabo, he's somebody that doesn't like to use the transfer portal. As a matter of fact, when Dabo Sweeney uses the transfer portal, it's pretty much the troll because he ends up taking back a former player. Like, you don't know how many times I got a notification on my iPhone that says Clemson just got a new transfer, and it's a dude who used to play quarterback for them a couple of years ago. Like, what the hell? Come on, Dabo. And I think when Clemson plays Florida State this year, we're really going to get our answer to if Clemson is going to make it back to the playoffs this season. Florida State is a really good football team this year. You may think they're overhyped, and they may very well be overhyped this season. But for right now, before the season kicks off, I think that every Florida State fan has the right to be feeling the way that they have about their chances of being able to knock off Clemson, win this conference, and make it back to the college football playoffs. The hype for FSU is definitely warranted this year. You want to know why? Because this roster is really good. And it's not just because Mike Norvell has done a really good job recruiting. As a matter of fact, this team is where it's at because of how FSU has used the transfer portal. The transfer portal gave FSU, Jordan Travis, Johnny Wilson, Jaheim Bell, and some of the best players on this team. Meanwhile, you look at Clemson, you done had holes at offensive line and at receiver for the last couple of years. You struggled to develop those positions. And what is the transfer portal good for? Being able to make quick fixes. Clemson is too good of a program to not go into the portal and take some of the top players at positions that they need. Clemson could have been solved their offensive line problem years ago if Dabble Sweeney would have took advantage of the transfer portal. It's there, so utilize it. And if Clemson can't beat Florida State, I think you can look at Dabble Sweeney's reluctancy to put his hand in the transfer portal and scoop up a couple of transfers to improve set positions that they need. You look at Florida State, their team is as talented as what it is now because of the players that they've gotten from the transfer portal. And if they lose to FSU this year, a lot of Clemson fans are going to be uttering a lot of Dabo Sweeney slander for him not really using the transfer portal because they're going to realize that all the players who end up contributing to Florida State potentially beating Clemson are going to be transfers, something that Clemson doesn't really have. So can they beat FSU? It's going to be a really big determining factor if we see Clemson get to the playoffs. And I'm not just talking about the one time they play in a regular season. Because these two teams are favorites to make it to the ACC championship game this year. So Clemson isn't going to have to beat FSU once, but they might have to do it twice. Or they may have to come back from a loss to FSU early in the ACC championship game. Clemson going against FSU this year is one of the biggest matchups in college football because it's going to tell a lot about Clemson's football program and what adjustments Dabo Sweeney needs to make to get Clemson back into the national championship picture. And if you can't use the transfer portal or you refuse to use the transfer portal, you're kind of being stuck in the past. You ever listen to somebody who was a little bit older in age around their 50s and 60s and they kind of refuse to use technology they don't like to use the internet they're not really all that caught up with the new technology because they feel like it's too much that's Clemson Clemson refuses to use the transfer portal because Davos Sweeney is stubborn he believes that his way is the best way to go about winning a championship and 
I can't criticize Dabo Sweeney's process because he, he is a championship winning coach and I'm not. So you do have to give him a benefit of a doubt. But I do think that it is right to question his approach, his philosophy on certain things. The thing that makes Nick Saban the greatest head coach of all time is the fact that he's always been able to adapt. And when you have something like the transfer portal, that's pretty much free agency that allows you to make quick fixes. I think Dabo Sweeney is kind of a little bit foolish for not opting to use it a little bit some. I'm not saying that he has to overhaul his roster through the transfer portal, but you can at least pick up two, three players, and those guys could be the key to you making it to the playoffs and winning another championship. Look at Jamison Williams with Alabama, Joe Burrow with LSU. There have been really huge finds in the transfer portal who have twisted the fate for certain teams. If Jamison Williams doesn't play for Alabama, they might not make it to the college football playoffs. The lack of using the transfer portal, is that going to hurt Clemson this year? I think we're going to find out. But if they don't make it to the playoffs this year, I think that's going to be a big reason why. I don't think there's any team that's been to the college football playoff that hasn't at least had two or more transfer portal players on their roster. You got to use the transfer portal if you have some holes that need to be addressed and if you are a team that's struggling to develop a certain position. So will Clemson make it back to the playoffs this year? I strongly doubt it. If I had to rate their chances of making it to the playoffs one through five, I probably would give them a three. Their schedule is not easy, folks. I don't think they're going to struggle too much with Duke. You do got Charleston Southern, you play FAU, and then you have to play FSU at home. And then you got Syracuse on the road, Wake Forest. I think you should be good against those teams. But against FSU, that's the biggest game that Clemson plays this season. And then you got to play Miami and Notre Dame and UNC and South Carolina as your other big games this year. And I think that it's very realistic to see Clemson at least losing two games this year. One to FSU and another one to either Notre Dame, USC, or South Carolina. Clemson isn't the team that they used to be up front on the offensive line. This used to be a team that not just was known for great defensive linemen, but they also produced really good offensive linemen. And Clemson hasn't developed the offensive line position really well, and neither have they done with receiver. I don't think Clemson is going to make it back to the college football playoffs this year. I think they're going to lose to Florida State, and they're going to realize that, hey, if we want to be able to compete for a national championship, we got to be able to utilize the transfer portal to make quick fixes at positions that we need. I think that Dabble Sweeney's reluctancy or stubbornness to take advantage of the transfer portal is going to leave Clemson in the dust, and FSU, meanwhile, is going to beat them capitalizing on something that they refuse to do now i don't know why they refuse to use the transfer portal maybe it's because of you know morals or you know other things but the transfer portal teams that have been able to make it to the college football playoffs have taken advantage of it and clemson is not i want to talk about my five most underrated teams entering the upcoming 2023 college football season now these are teams that not only do I feel are being a little bit slept on by people in terms of how good they expect them to be this season, but also teams that I feel have a little bit of some skeptical over under win totals that I feel people could cash in on taking the over on. The first team I'm going to start off with is Kentucky. Kentucky last year was a little bit of a down season. The offensive line wasn't good. The offense was really inconsistent. Will Levis was playing through injuries, and plus he was really turnover prone, and Kentucky just didn't really have a good offense last year. Now, they bring back their offensive coordinator, Lean Cohen, who spent one season back with the Rams. The year before last season in 2021, Kentucky, under Leon Cohen's play calling, had one of their best offenses in program history. Will Levis, that was the season where he 
got on everybody's draft radar, and that's where you started to hear the first-round buzz about him. Leon Cohen leads for one year, and Kentucky's offense is just all out of sorts. I think this offense is going to improve with him returning as offensive coordinator. And plus, they got Devin Leary, former NC State quarterback, out of the transfer portal. Now, if you don't know who Devin Leary is, you need to go look him up and look at his numbers because he was pretty much the best quarterback in the ACC when he was healthy for NC State. And I think that he's probably the best quarterback that Kentucky has had in a very long time. And why I think he's better than Will Levis is because he takes better care of the football than Will Levis. And plus, I just think he's an overall better quarterback than what Will Levis is, even though he isn't the athlete that what Levis was. He's accurate the football. He's a better decision maker. Plus, the offensive line for Kentucky is going to be better this season. So Devin Leary should end up being one of the five best quarterbacks in the SEC this year. This offensive line should improve. Kentucky's offensive line normally is one of the best in college football. They call it the big blue wall for a reason, but we didn't see the big blue wall last year. Now, they had some injuries. They had some young guys who were playing a little bit out of position. They got guys coming back now who are going to be more experienced. They got a couple of really good guys who are going to be starting on that offensive line. And what has me excited the most about Kentucky is this wide receiver. This wide receiving core that they have, I think it's going to be one of the most underrated in the SEC this year. You got two really good sophomore receivers, Dane Key, Barry and Brown. Both of these receivers were five-star guys coming out of high school, and they had some pretty solid true freshman seasons. And if this offensive line improves, plus with how good this defense should be, because Kentucky normally does have a really good defense, they should have a really good front seven. Their secondary is a little bit of a concern, but overall, Mark Stoops gets a lot out of the defense. So this offense improving this season with their offensive coordinator coming back, getting Devin Leary from the transfer portal, I think that Kentucky... It's going to be really good this season. And I think they're being incredibly underrated. Vegas has them with an over-under win total of six and a half. But I think they can easily get to eight wins this year. Maybe ten. Kansas comes in at number four. Yes, people. Kansas. We're not talking about college hoops. We're talking about college football. A lot of y'all quickly forgot about Kansas. Out of their starting quarterback, Jalen Daniels got injured. Before he went down with that injury, Kansas was 5-0, and and he was a legitimate Heisman contender. Now, with him coming back and them returning 91% of their offensive production from last year and 80% on defense, this is going to be one of the better teams in the Big 12 this year, and I think that they have a really good chance at being able to win this conference this year. We keep hearing about Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas State's chances of winning the Big 12 this year, but Kansas is being really overlooked. Now, I don't think Kansas has been getting a lot of disrespect. I do think that people feel that Kansas is going to be a solid team this year. A lot of predictions that I've been seeing have them at eight wins, but this team could be way better than eight wins. This could be a potential New Year's Six Bowl, bowl game kind of team. Lance Leopold has done a really good job turning around this program. And this roster is really good. They're going to have a really fantastic offensive line. This defense should be better than what it was last year. Kansas is being severely slept on this year. I think they have the third best chance to win the Big 12 this year behind Texas and Kansas State. I think they got a better shot at winning this conference than what Oklahoma does. I think now Oklahoma, their roster still is a little bit of in flux. I like Kansas. They got a great quarterback, one of the most underrated quarterbacks going into this season, and one of my sleeper picks to win the Heisman Trophy this year. So Kansas, I think, is really being overlooked by a lot of people. You look at the fact that, yeah, they started out hot, but then they ended with a 6-7 and seven record. But you got to look at the injury to Jalen Daniels. When he's healthy, this is a really scary team. And with everything that they have coming back, this could be one of those storybook kind of seasons for Kansas. 
because every single year in college football, you guys already know who follow the sport, we always have a team or two that kind of comes out of nowhere. They become the college football sweethearts that everybody roots for, like TCU last season. Kansas could very well be one of those teams. Look out for them. Do not sleep on the Kansas Jayhawks when it comes to college football this year. Arizona comes in at number three. Now, I'm a little surprised that nobody, and I mean absolutely nobody, is talking about how Arizona could potentially have a breakthrough season. And it's funny how everybody's talking about Texas Tech breaking through, but you look at what Jet Fish has done at Arizona so far, they have a really good future ahead of them. They got an over-under win total of five and a half. Some websites have them at five. But I think that Arizona is most definitely a bowl-caliber team. And I have them winning around seven to maybe eight games this year. First of all, you're going to have one of the better quarterbacks in this conference in Jaden Delore, who is really overlooked. We know about Shadur. We know about Bo Nix, Michael Penix, and Kayla Williams. But Jaden Delora is a really solid quarterback. He can extend plays. I think that he's pretty accurate with the football. And even though they did lose one of their best receivers to USC, they still have a really crowded wide receiver room that has plenty of talent. So this is going to be an explosive offense. Now, they probably won't play much defense. As a matter of fact, out of all the teams that I have on this list, they probably have the worst defense out of all of them. But they did use the transfer portal pretty heavy to address that side of the football. They got a lot of transfers on that side of the ball, including former Oregon transfer Justin Flo, who's going to be starting at linebacker for them this year. So Arizona, even if they don't have a good defense this year, once again, I think that this offense is good enough for them to win six, seven games. And if they can get solid or serviceable defense this year, this could be an eight-win team or more because their offensive line is really good. You just got to figure out what are going to be your weaknesses on defense and find out how to address them. And I think Arizona potentially could be an eight-win team or better. But if I had to give you a realistic prediction for Arizona, I got this team winning seven games this year. And I think they deserve to be on this list with the fact that they only have a win total of four and a half to five. Keep your eyes out on Jed Fish and the Arizona Wildcats football program because I believe that they're a team on the rise. Texas A&M is coming in at number two now. You're probably saying that I'm cheating for putting Texas A&M on this list because I don't think anybody's sleeping on Texas A&M for real. I don't see too many people who think that Texas A&M is going to have another season like what they did last year. But the reason why I got them on this list is because, yeah, people think they're going to be solid, they're going to bounce back, but I think Texas A&M is going to be able to challenge for the SEC West this year. And I don't mean they're going to be competing for third place or second place like I legitimately believe that they are good enough to be able to compete with LSU Alabama and potentially win the SEC West this year and face off against Georgia in the SEC championship game if the Bobby Petrino hiring works out you guys are sleeping on Texas A&M this was a team that had one of the best rosters in all of college football last season they were the fourth most talented team in college football in 2022, according to the 247 Sports Team Talent Composite Rankings. You forget that Texas A&M has brought in some of their best recruiting classes in school history over the last couple of years. Most of those guys are still on this squad. They're going to have an incredible defense. Their defensive line is going to be scary. If you thought that Georgia had some monsters on the defensive line, Wait until you start seeing guys like Shamur Turner start to break out this year. Their offensive line is experienced. They got plenty of talent at receiver and running back. Connor Wigman showed a lot of promise during his freshman season. And Bobby Petrino is somebody who's been around the block for hell of years. He turned Lamar Jackson into a Heisman Trophy contender. Ryan Mallett was really good. RIP to him. 
under Bobby Petrino's coaching, Texas A&M is going to be a legitimate threat for making it to the college football playoffs this year. I think that this is a dark horse college football playoff contender, and I also believe that they're going to be able to contend for the SEC West this year. Stop sleeping on Texas A&M. And lastly, I got to go with the Colorado bus, man. Like, you guys know that I've been on the Colorado hype train ever since Coach Prime first got hired to Boulder. And if Colorado ends up winning six games or more this year, I want to make sure that everybody comes back and they come to this comment section. And for those of y'all who doubted Coach Prime, I want you to say, JT, I was wrong. You was right. Because you see, the problem with a lot of people on the internet is that when people like me are wrong, you're going to record it and make fun of it. But when people like me are right, you're nowhere to be found. So I want to make sure when Colorado wins more than three games this year that everybody knows where to find me. Like Coach Prime says, I'm not hard to find. You got Shadur Sanders, one of the best quarterbacks, not just in the Pac-12, but in college football. You got people who are trying to say, oh, Shadur Sanders was good in the FCS. He's going to struggle at a tougher division he's gonna struggle in a tougher conference like you make no sense Shadur Sanders was dominating at Jackson State if you don't think he's gonna dominate these Pac-12 defenses where most of these defenses were ranked in 100s in yards per game allowed and passing yards per game allowed I think it's fair to call you a hater his receiving core with Jimmy Horn Jr. Xavier Weaver who come from USF are going to be really good additions to this offense. You got Travis Hunter playing both sides of the football. This offensive line, by the way, is not small because I keep hearing the narrative being thrown around that Colorado has a small offensive line. Their smallest offensive lineman, I think is what, 290? Everybody other than them are 300 plus or bigger. They got guys who are what, 6'8", 315 on this offensive line. Colorado's offensive line is far from small, and I think that their offensive line is going to be really good. Shadur Sanders is going to be thrown to a really good receiving core. You got Alton McCaskill back there at running back. Like, some of y'all need to do y'all research on Alton McCaskill. Now, he's coming off a major injury last year, but his true freshman season at Texas Tech, this dude was averaging over five yards per carry and 16 damn touchdowns as a true freshman. They got a really talented defense. Like, one thing about Coach Prime is that he's going to get a lot of talent. Now, not all of those guys are probably going to pan out, but most of the guys who they got from the transfer portal should be pretty productive and good enough for Colorado to win at least six games. Like, y'all act like Colorado is playing in the damn Big Ten or the SEC. They're playing in the Pac-12 since when has the Pac-12 been a powerhouse? And this is the conference that most of their best teams going into their seat this season, like USC, Oregon, Washington, didn't have good defenses last year. So I think that Colorado is the most underrated team in college football going into this year. So these are my five most underrated teams in college football going into this season. Let me know what you guys are thinking about my list down in the comment section down below. Let me know if there's a team that I left off that you feel should be on here. And before we move on to our next segment, if you haven't already, make sure that you go ahead, like the video, subscribe to the channel. We go live every day, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern time. I'm finna get a sip of water real quick. My God, the Ghost of Judah tribe says Colorado sucks. Look at their last five games. They're going to get their heads smashed in. That's why Caleb Williams is the Heisman. Man, the reason why I think Colorado is going to be successful this year is because all of the best schools or the best teams going into the Pac-12 this year, their biggest questions are all on defense. Oregon, Washington, USC, even Utah all have questions with how good their defenses are going to be. And you look at Colorado, offense isn't going to be a problem. They got a great offensive coordinator, and they got a really talented supporting cast around Shadur Sanders. That offense is going to be able to score a lot of points on these defenses. Now, if this was the SEC, okay, I would have a different opinion. 
But I think that the Pac-12 is a manageable enough conference for Colorado to at least be able to win six games. If you're enjoying this episode of the podcast, go ahead and leave us with a five-star review. Remember that we're not just available on YouTube. You can find us on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find the JT Sports Podcast. Leave us with a five-star review if you support the channel and enjoy the content. I've been seeing a lot of people on social media over the last couple of weeks, especially on Reddit, saying that Texas and Oklahoma are going to struggle when they get to the SEC. Like, listen, Texas and Oklahoma are two programs that as long as they have the right head coach, they're going to be able to survive in the SEC. All right, especially a school like Texas. And I believe in Steve Sarkeesian. Now, I don't know about Brett Venables, but I believe that Texas is going to be perfectly fine making the transition to the SEC. First of all, they recruit at a really high level. They got the future of their quarterback situation secured. And then you got Steve Sharkeesian, who is a really bright offensive mind. And I think that he is now starting to hit his strides as a head coach. Now, he's been around the block a little bit, but sometimes it takes a little bit of failure to turn into somebody who starts to turn things around and starts to become an achiever. Steve Sarkeesian, I have a lot of faith in him as the head coach of the Texas Longhorns going into the SEC. I feel like Texas is going to be competing for one of the top spots in the SEC when they arrive. They already have one of the best rosters in college football going into this season. Imagine how good they're going to be with the added cycle being able to use the transfer portal and the recruits that they're going to bring in because they are once again having another really good recruiting class. Now, Oklahoma, on the other end, I don't have as much confidence in how they're going to do in the SEC compared to Texas, all right? Brent Venable still has a lot that he has to prove to us as a head coach, and you can say the same thing about Steve Sarkeesian, but at least with Steve Sarkeesian, he's shown that he can at least get you eight wins. Brent Venable's We don't even know if he can get you more than six. And plus, he's more experienced when it comes, well, more inexperienced when it comes to being a head coach than Steve Sharkeesian. So he's still learning on the job. So imagine if Oklahoma struggles again this season and they go into the SEC coming off another disappointing year. The pressure is really going to be on Brent Venables. And plus, he's still going to be learning. And learning in the SEC is really tough, especially when you're not only going against some of the best teams in college football every week, but you're also going to be coaching up against some of the best coaches as well. Oklahoma, they have recruited at a high level, which does gives me a little bit of confidence in Brent Venables moving forward. And I'm not saying I don't believe in Brent Venables at all. As a matter of fact, I believe that Brent Venables is going to work out at Oklahoma, but I'm not super confident about that. I have faith in Brent Venables. I like Brent Venables as a coach. I am impressed with how well he was able to recruit last year. But you still need to see that success translate on the field. So when you look at Oklahoma, I think potentially they could struggle in the SEC. They got a higher chance of struggling compared to Texas. And Texas, with Steve Sarkeesian at the helm, I think he actually is the right guy. And Texas is one of those schools like Florida with Billy Napier is that you're recruited in one of the most talent-rich areas in the nation. You can literally recruit the whole state of Texas and still have a team that's good enough to win a national championship just with Texas talent alone. Texas, with how well they're going to be able to recruit, is always going to be a factor in the SEC as long as they have the right head coach. And people make it seem like the SEC just has all these talented teams that are just so better than Texas. Outside of Georgia, Alabama, and LSU, those are the only schools that I really feel are just so ahead of Texas. You look at the rest of the SEC, minus those schools that I just mentioned, like Arkansas, Kentucky, Texas A&M, Tennessee, like Texas should be able to handle business against those schools. The talent's there for Texas. You look at where they're located at. 
they're always going to be able to recruit at a really high level as long as you have competent coaching there. Oklahoma, you got to put a little bit more effort in compared to Steve Sharkeesian if you're Brent Venables because it's not as easy to recruit at Oklahoma as it is compared to recruiting at Texas. You just don't have a lot of in-state talent at your disposal if you're Brent Venables. So you do have to venture out there a little bit and spread your wings. But Oklahoma, though, I think they should be pretty fine. I don't know if Oklahoma under Brent Venables will become a championship contender, but I do believe that they can become an above-average team in the SEC under Brent Venables. Brent Venables may not be a championship-caliber coach, but that doesn't mean he's a bad coach. He may be a coach that can have a couple of 9-win, 10-win seasons for you every once in a while. But I just need to see a little bit more out of Brent Venables before I can say I have undeniable confidence that Oklahoma is going to succeed in the SEC like I do Texas. I believe in Steve Sharkeesian. This offensive line is incredible because they have the best offensive line recruiting class a couple of years ago. And most of those guys that they recruited played as true freshmen last year. They're going into their sophomore seasons regarded as some of the best at their positions in the Big 12. So Texas, even though this is a team that does get a lot of hype, you got to understand that this is one of the biggest brands in college football. Of course, everybody's always going to talk about them. People are always going to be a little bit overly optimistic than what they may be for most teams. But I think the hype is definitely warranted for a school like Texas. There's nothing different between the hype that Texas is getting and the hype that a school like LSU is getting. LSU, Notre Dame, Alabama, Ohio State, those are schools that always have high expectations. They always get a lot of hype from the media because look how big of a brand those schools are. So a school like Texas is always going to get a lot of hype. They're always going to get a lot of attention. People are always going to feel like they're a little bit overhyped, but that's just what comes with the Texas brand. They're just one of the most notable brands in all of college football. Oklahoma, they're up there as well, but I don't think they get the same media coverage that a school like Texas does. So Texas, I think that they're more suited to have success fast in the SEC compared to Oklahoma. And I think long-term, Texas is going to be able to compete in the SEC, not just, you know, competing, being a 9-10 win team, but they're going to be able to compete for the SEC championship game or for the SEC title. Oklahoma, on the other hand, I don't know. Got a lot that I need to see out of Brent Venables. I saw a report on Twitter the other day that said that Zach Wilson looks like a completely different quarterback. Now, you got to remember, the last time we saw Zach Wilson, he got benched. He wasn't looking good Thursday night against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Things got really, really ugly. And now they trade for Aaron Rodgers, and all of a sudden, Zach Wilson has just became just different quarterback. Like, you don't even recognize Zach Wilson if you read this report. So, NFL Rookie Watcher on Twitter, go ahead, give him a follow. He tweeted out, Zach Wilson has reportedly looked like a different QB since Aaron Rodgers arrived. Wilson is playing with a different confidence than he has had in previous seasons. Robert Sala, Jets head coach, has reportedly been impressed with Wilson's improved ability at stepping up in the pocket. Sala has also been wowed with some of Wilson's red zone throws. It may be a new era for the Jets' second overall pick. Now, here's my thoughts on this. I'm not putting any stake into this report. You want to know why? Because I saw these same reports coming out about Zach Wilson last offseason. And I thought that Zach Wilson was going to have a breakout season. And I was completely wrong. So I'm not putting any stake into these reports. I'm just taking these as reports and, you know, training camp talk. Because, you know, in mini camp, training camp, everybody looks good. Everybody's super impressive when they got a tank top and shorts on. But when them pads come on and them chin straps get buckled, and the games get played, most of the times, all these players that end up getting hyped up throughout training camp end up disappearing when the regular season kicks off. And for Zach Wilson, 
he's going to have a year or two to get better. So we're probably going to continue to see more stories about Zach Wilson improving and how good he is compared to what he was before Aaron Rodgers got there and how Aaron Rodgers has been a great mentor. It's just, this is one of those situations where I'm not hating on Zach Wilson, but I got to see it on the field because what we saw Zach Wilson's first couple of seasons as the starting quarterback in the New York Jets was really ugly and really bad and concerning. So I'm not really putting any stock into these Zach Wilson reports. I got to see it in the actual game to believe it. And if he ends up doing pretty good in the preseason, I'm going to say, cool, like that's what he's supposed to do. The dude was a second overall pick. Now, it's no denying that there's talent there. There's people that say, man, he got drafted so high because of the throws that he made during his pro day. Like Zach Wilson, most of the throws that he made during his BYU pro day, he's made a couple of those in the NFL. Do you remember that the touchdown pass he threw to CJ Uzama against the Detroit Lions? Zach Wilson has talent. The talent is not the issue. Like you don't get drafted as high as guys like Zach Wilson in the top five, in the top 10 of the NFL draft at the QB position if you don't have something that stands out about you. If you don't have any talent at all, you're not going to get drafted that high. Zach Wilson, his arm strength, his arm talent is really impressive. He just has to get better when it comes to understanding how to read defenses and just improve his mechanics, his footwork in the pocket. Zach Wilson, I'm rooting for him to succeed. But for right now, I'm not buying into any of these reports. I just think that it's training camp hoopla. Who knows? Maybe they're trying to talk him up so they can get his trade value back up. But I'm not putting a lot of stake into these Zach Wilson stories that are coming out. And I'm not really somebody who's believing in the narrative that Aaron Rodgers is going to be able to get Zach Wilson's career back on track. Because Tom Brady was mentoring plenty of QBs who ended up being nothing in the league. So, you guys let me know how you guys are feeling about these Zach Wilson reports. Apparently, he looks like a different quarterback for the New York Jets. This is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. If you haven't already, make sure that you go ahead, like the video, subscribe to the channel, rate the podcast five stars. We're available not just on YouTube, but you can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find the JT Sports Podcast. All you got to do is go to whichever podcasting service that you like to use. Type in the JT Sports Podcast and it will pop up. Or you can go down to the description down below. Scroll down a little bit. And there will be the links to the Apple and Spotify versions of the podcast. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. And I will see you guys tomorrow with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast.